So I think possibly even just since the last time we recorded, uh, I have actually started watching Discovery now is my bit of news for today. Um, right. So, yeah. You've, you've been texting me about this. Yeah. I've been, uh, <laughs> I do occasionally sort of live tweet various episodes that I find particularly notable. But yeah, I think I, I because I had gotten maybe it's since the last time we recorded because I had gotten I resubscribed to CBS All Access when we did our Lower Deck special and then right. I was like well since I have this and I I'd, I'd seen ads for the uh, third season that's coming out now that I thought looked like cool especially cooler than that first episode of Discovery we had watched for the show. And so I was like, well, I want to watch that. So I guess I should start from the beginning of Discovery. And so I've watched now the whole first season and I'm, I think, four or five episodes into the second season. So now I... So you're catching up to me. You're catching up to me because I... I, uh, Yeah, because you're watching the second season. I'm watching... Yeah, I'm watching the second season, but it's been very slow because I just I have to watch it by myself, and I don't have a lot of uh, free time. Where you know, for for posterity, we're still like in Corona times, and um, yeah, my kids are doing school from home, and Kim doesn't watch Discovery, my wife doesn't watch Discovery, and uh, so I kind of have to like sneak it in 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 stolen moments. Uh, so <laughs> it's your, it's your I, think, yeah, I, I think I have like two and a half episodes left or something of season two right now. Okay, as we're, as we're talking. Yeah. So yeah, so I do. Um, I do know a lot, like I'm able to understand what's going on a whole lot better than the first time. Um, I kind of almost want to like go back now and talk about that, the season finale episode that we watched, because I would probably have more to say other than just like, who are all these people? Well, you know, we're um, doing a Discovery episode so. today, so I mean, I think we can, I think we can kind of like blend it. That's blend true. It. And yeah, this one, this one I feel like is a very, this episode in particular, I feel is a very kind of continuity dependent, epi- like I don't know that this episode has a story of its own as much as just furthering yeah. the overall arc of the first Actually, season. Actually, why don't I just do this? Why don't I go? Why don't I do this? I go. Burr, 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 burr. Hi, everybody! Welcome, to welcome out of contracts. This is a podcast where two friends who've seen part of Star Trek try to watch all of it uh, in no particular order. I'm Ryan Howard. I'm Brady Jungle. Uh, that was a fast intro because I, you know, I think this is all going to bleed together. <laughs> yeah. You know? uh, so. Yeah, it uh, is kind of all the same. Yeah. So, so I guess, yeah. Go, keep on going what you're doing, but I, I, I think that we can kind of like transition. From all right. So we are now talking. The, the episode about, we're doing today, yeah. by the way, is uh, Discovery season one, episode four, "The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry," which I imagine you probably had to watch. Like, you either remembered it from when you watched it, or you had to watch it like twice within a, speri- a period of like three weeks or something like that. Yeah, I did. I came back and I came back and rewatched it. Yeah, since I yeah probably within the last yeah three or four um, weeks. So um, it is. I did notice on memory alpha. This is the second longest title of all of Star Trek's more than seven hundred episodes. The longest one is the original series episode for the world is hollow and I have touched the sky. I feel like the original series also will occasionally do some like sentence titles that sound like they should be some sort of saying or quote but no one's ever heard before or or some that they have heard of before because I, I was uh this is, this is a little recommendation to people to star trek fans who are on twitter there's a uh, star trek twitter account called world cup of star trek where it's just like doing this kind of giant march madness kind of bracket to pick the best episode or movie of star trek like by facing all of them off against each other in a uh, <laughs> 
like a, like a four-way competitions um, and you can vote on which one is your favorite on Twitter and I'm having a really good time with it but um, anyway I was I, I've been on there frequently and clicking you know like voting for the episodes that I've seen or, or that I remember as being good and there was a original series episode that I don't remember what it's about uh, I'm sure it's probably given original series track record with this kind of topic not great but um, there is a, an episode that, <laughs> that's called what are little girls made of <laughs> this is the, is the full name of the episode. oh I think that's I think that's a a robot one. Okay. I think that's one where like they like make a robot version of Kirk, and also there's like a robot girl. Um, hmm. If I remember right, I think that's the one where he's on like this. This I may be remembering the wrong story, but there, there's like this big spinning table where they like lay down the r- real Kirk on one side, and then they have like a like a shell Kirk shaped shell on the other side, and then they spin it around and make a a robot Kirk. Um, maybe I may be totally <laughs> off base there. Anyway, but. yeah. So I, I'm just I'm I'm let's let's keep talking about discovery as a whole, and then we can kind of <laughs> when we do want to pivot. We okay, can, we can pivot more. Yeah, that's fair. So this is this is and to be fair, we're uh, this is an episode in season one of Discovery, and I get the sense that the sh- from what I've seen of season two, and then obviously from season one, that the show as a whole kind of the season itself has a pretty long but overall set story arc it's definitely not as episodic as i would say pretty much all other star trek except for picard it's picard is probably even more serialized than this but yeah because this this show sometimes it'll have an overall story arc but it, but it'll also have like like the, in, the, in this episode that we watched for today's show like there's the stuff where she has to figure out what's up with the tardigrade like the tardigrade exists in this episode yeah. in the previous episode and the next episode but the actual like this is what the tardigrade's deal is is kind of all you know encapsulated yeah and i feel like they'll sometimes have little like side quest episodes like there's like the the one where mud shows up on the ship and that's kind of all that happens yeah. in that episode the best episode so far i've seen of discovery by the way that that was a fun one. I feel, I, I mean, we can talk about this when we get to an episode with Mud in it, but Rain Wilson as Mud does, I feel, captures that character pretty well. It's been such a long time since I've watched the the original two plus the animated series Mud episodes that I don't really, I need to watch them again to, to have a judgment yeah. on it. But he says he's, I, I think he, I, I enjoy the character. Yeah. Not to get too, too sidetracked here, I guess. But yeah, so this is in the the first season of, of Discovery, which is pretty much all about the course of a a war that takes place between the Federation and the Klingons. That and and especially this the main character, Michael Burnham, kind of her place in that story. So this episode, I guess I'll just go ahead and well I don't know. Is there anything more you wanted to say about like Discovery as a whole? Well, I didn't know if you wanted to say anything about like having watched the finale earlier. Like if if that recontextualized anything for you in a, a little a, a little bit, I guess. I yeah, I think there was like stuff going on with a lot of the characters that just made sense in the finale that I had missed almost completely the first time around. Like especially like everything going on with Tyler. I think I kind of really you know that that's one where I feel like if you you have to have seen kind of his his whole story to really figure out what everyone's talking about with him in that last episode. I noticed that you said, uh, figure out and not appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I recognize what they were trying to do with that story. I, I like could not really get into the Tyler story much like at all. <laughs> Every Star Trek show, except for the original series has to have at least one character who no one likes or cares about. So, <laughs> you know, that's, that's uh, fair. That's yeah. that's um, Ash Tyler. Yeah, that's fair. Or v- uh, v- who Volk. is? 
Yeah, I was about to say, I don't know if we want to get into spoilers, but... Well, I mean, we're going we're gonna to talk about it in this episode. But kind of he does. Yeah, they sort of tee that up in this episode. It's the same actor. I don't know if you know. Yeah, I, 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 think I, I think I did look that up, and yeah. Which is another thing, but like, then after, now going, when I went back to watch this episode, it's, I think, a little more, like, apparently you can just sort of catch either in his voice or how he carries himself. Just like, okay, yeah, I can see that that's being performed by the same actor. Because he is listed as a... Like a main cast member, right? Yeah. He's not like a recurring yeah. guest star or something. Like he's in. If you count this character Vogue, he's probably in most of the episodes. So yeah, overall, I guess. And and again, I I think so far I've enjoyed the second season a lot more. And I feel like they kind of possibly intentionally tried to change the tone of the show a little bit based on criticisms of the first season. But but the first season especially, I feel it's clearly like very well made like the production quality is kind of you know beyond what we're used to from just normal television star trek it's like very very beautifully made very well shot the visuals are great um the actors are all great i love saru um so much overall like the the story and the writing like i definitely it definitely kept me watching and kept me invested but i don't know that it was great i guess yeah, it's. I agree with you that the production value is uh, really good, but I think again, I don't know. It, it, part of it is just I'm not interested in like the vision of Star Trek that the show has to peddle to me. And then part of it is just I don't know. I just don't. I don't know that like the writing is good in like the same way that like the writing for some of like the Netflix Marvel shows are good in that like it's not good, but it's it's it. It does one job well, which is that it convinces you to watch the next episode. I think usually sure. pretty, pretty well. But like, even if like what's happening in the middle of the episode is not always the most interesting, or it's interesting like purely on a plot level rather than on yeah. Uh, I think like that would be like my biggest. Level. I think that would be my biggest criticism of Discovery, especially, is that it seems like they're working too hard to advance like they have some place they want the plot to go and so they're working too hard to like make the story get there so just like things will happen entirely for the purpose of advancing the plot to where they're trying to get it to go without necessarily having to make sense or without like kind of attributing the appropriate impact or meaning to those things when they do happen like i and again my i I guess my example that I kind of think of isn't necessarily from this episode, but that they have, you know, when it's like, well, we have to kill off her captain and have her blamed for mutiny. And that all happens just kind of like within the last few minutes of an episode, just because like it is a necessary part of her backstory that they have to establish and just happened, seemed like it happened very suddenly. I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I think too the show like I think fancies itself to be like this kind of profound thing, and I don't think it is really. I think it's actually kind of stupid a lot of the time. In ter- <laughs> like that, you know, there's not really like the metaphor that is in a lot of like really good Star Trek stuff is not here for the most part. I would say, or at least not like in the traditional way. But it's instead there's a lot of like monologues that Burnham gives at the beginning or ends of the episodes where she's trying to kind of like. Uh, frame the episode as having a moral, but like I was, I find, generally find this to be like pretty boring and uninteresting, and uh, also like they're they're telling me rather than showing me, you know, for the most mm-hmm. for the most part. Like whereas you know you think about it, you don't really have like like the original series would do that sometimes, but like it'll be like for maybe one scene at the end, or like, even like a line of dialogue or two where where Kirk will be like, well, we were supposed to be working, you know, or something like yeah, that. yeah, like it just goes to show you. 
something or like yeah but it's always in kind of in dialogue between like kirk and spock and mccoy yeah yeah i feel like star trek you're not used to like that was one of the things i noticed i I forget if there is one in in this episode but i noticed in the the finale when we watched it like it opens with her just kind of monologuing to the audience about something i'm like that's that star trek doesn't do that star trek does like she's they basically they're they're using that instead of the Captain's logs, but those are more, I feel like those very rarely make a point. Those are just kind of setting the stage of exposition of just like, here is what happened off screen to get it. Like, here is why we are going to this planet. And then you mm-hmm. drop you into the action. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. So this episode was uh, written by Jesse Alexander and Iran Eli Koliet. Hope I said that right. And directed by Olatund uh, Osun Sanmi, I believe is that person's. If I, I looked that one up beforehand, so hopefully I, I said that okay. uh, correctly. I believe was the sh- one of the showrunners for the show Falling Skies before this, I, if I'm if I'm recalling correctly. But uh, the the Memory Alpha summary for this one is pretty funny. It's just with tensions and stakes high as Starfleet continues in their efforts to end the war with the Klingons, Burnham begins to settle into her new position aboard the USS Discovery, which is not untrue but also not descriptive at all of what like happens the, in the episode. yeah any sort of plot of the story no yeah it doesn't talk about the, the two things that are going on are voke is doing some more interminable is that really even going on that business. i <laughs> that they, they occasionally cut so i'll just get this part of the plot of the story out of the way early because i have just no interest in this these scenes in the episode and felt like it was Again, like, I personally didn't care, and I feel like it wasn't interesting story-wise, and kind of not until much later in the season do you understand why this scene happened. Yeah, let's let's forego any any semblance of, like, chronology and just, like, take either yeah. of these things. Kind of like the way we did in our Four Days and Four Nights, or th- what is it, Three Days and Three Nights? Whatever, the, the Rice episode. Yeah. Like, just take all of them individually. Like, so, yeah, there's a main thing that's going on with Burnham, but the, before that... Yeah, yeah this is, this like, I stuff. guess you would call it a B-plot. It's just kind of these... There's a few scenes that... And it's not connected to any of the rest of the episode. But basically, after their, the big battle that sort of opened the season that started the war with the Klingons. There's one ship of Klingons, which is Voke and Lorel are the two main ones that were followers of... <laughs> this is the problem with Discovery is that I to really explain who they're and what they're doing there... Yeah, but they're followers of Takuvma, who was this sort of messianic leader of the Klingons that essentially sort of brought all the Klingons together and started this war with the Federation and was killed in that first battle. Yeah, one of some of I think also like some of the philosophical stuff in this series gets a little bit muddled because I think that like they kind of try to get away with making Takuma this messianic kind of like pure Klingon figure. Yes, and then because then the the other Klingons like they're going away from what Takuma's original vision was and they're just like attacking and killing the Federation. But the first two episodes, like Takuma was very much like just being like we need to attack and kill the federation like that yeah, was his, his, kind of his message <laughs> i think we said this during the i think we said this during the um the episode we did the first episode we did discovery but but basically his 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 slogan is remain klingon which is basically like his 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 slogan is like make uh chronos great again uh or, or what you know or whatever are they living on chronos at this at this point yeah i think yeah, i'm yeah. pretty sure that um, well i mean he's just living on like this this Shit. I meant the Klingon homeworld because uh, because yeah, the, the change is the Klingon homework. Yeah. Well, where where does it where does it move then after um after undiscovered country? 
because that's what that uh, that's what that movie is about. Oh, is it? I I thought they say it's Kronos, though. Okay. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, he, but like, so he's like his whole slogan is just like the Federation. They're not doing anything to us, but they could, and we're like they're they like multiculturalism and stuff, and that's stupid, and we hate it, and so we should attack them. <laughs> like he's almost yeah, he's almost basically. like a Trumpian figure, um, and and so like it's it's weird that like they're like listen, you are a good guy for listening to the tenets of Takuma, this kind of racist douchebag. <laughs> yeah, this Klingon supremacist. I mean, and that's that's just kind of the Klingon's deal. Is like n- most of them are not like super pleasant people, and even even like the nice ones. Most of the time, you're just kind of like, well, I guess I have to respect that they're sticking by their code or whatever. But yeah. but um, it is kind of odd. Yeah. But yeah, Vogue, Vogue also is an albino uh, Klingon which we learn in, I think this is a new, new to discovery thing that like albino Klingons are not generally well-liked and are considered to be like orphans or, or bastards or, or what have you. Yeah. He was kind of spent his whole life just bastards in like the literal sense, not, not the, not like a epithet, like a, like the right. son of none is what has, how he's referred to. Right. And, and so, so basically they're stranded on this, uh, on Takuvma's ship and they, they need, they don't have a important part of, the, the engine of the ship. And so they go on a mission over to the wreckage of the uh, USS Shenzo, which was the ship that Burnham was on before the events of the, the beginning. And they go get that piece of the warp drive. And meanwhile, uh, another uh, Klingon leader shows up because the notable thing about Takuvma's ship was that it had uh, cloaking technology. And this other Klingon says, I want your cloaking technology for my ships. And uh, Volk gives it to him. And then that Klingon betrays Volk and takes all of his followers and tells Lorel to to kill Volk. And she says, oh, no, I have a better idea. We should abandon him on the Shenzo on our enemy's ship and won't that be ironic? And then uh, they all leave She come and she comes back to reveal that she had done this as sort of a kind of secretive attempt to save his life and that she is going to take him back to to her like, clan and kind of hints at, you know, we're going to do something that will that will help us win the war, but it'll take him sort of the ultimate sacrifice from you. And that's the closing of that yeah scene and we you know spoilers but if you've watched the show you know what that means is that she is going to for some reason this involves having sex with him but also like she is going to kind of modify his body to look like a human and then install a captured starfleet crewman's consciousness into his mind that and uh, but then his mind will be reactivated sleeper agent style at the at the time when at the when when the time is right, basically. Um, right. Uh, but that all which is revealed. another thing that I think they sort of change their story as the episode as the season goes on because in, in this episode she pres- she kind of presents it as this type of thing of like the only way that the Klingons will follow Voke is if he kind of single handedly went, d- strikes the decisive blow that defeats the humans and wins the war. But then later on, when he actually does activate, he kind of makes it sound like the only reason he did it was just because he wanted revenge on Burnham for killing Takuvma, which like, see, like it's he's more of just like an assassin that was just going to get close to her and kill her, which doesn't seem like it would change the course of the war overall. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we don't need to talk too much more about this, especially because we're already like yeah. 20 minutes into okay. the show. But I will say a couple, just a couple of quick things about this, other than just, I mean, I think we both agree it was boring, right? And and not really. Yeah. I, I, no, just... 
uh, but like in a weird way, this is the kind of the most faithful that the show is to other Star Trek in that it, it continues the fine tradition of like having a bunch of clean on political stuff that no one cares about. Um, <laughs> yes, except for the writers clearly care a lot about it. Yeah. And think that we do and we don't. But like talking about who is from what house and what that means. and uh, Also, I think we talked about this a little bit in the last time, but it was interesting watching this with my wife. So uh, Kim, Kim was telling me that I mentioned her name so often on the podcast and I don't always say who I'm talking about. So when I talk about Kim, <laughs> I'm talking about my wife. But she was watching this with me and this is the first time she's watched a Discovery episode. And she, she was... Uh, shocked that the Klingons were in fact Klingons like and it really was like another <laughs> like to me see, seeing them again through the, uh, that light for the first time just like they really don't look like Klingons at all like they just look like some other weird bald alien and it and yeah they don't dress like Klingons and they don't and they like they, they just don't like it's it's just not I don't know why they did it like like couldn't they just have made them look like I Klingons agree. yeah like or even like make them look like the original series Klingons like you know this is something else entirely. yeah it's it's just weird to introduce like a third variation on what Klingons would look like yeah so so anyways we don't talk about it anymore it does it does not it does not actually yeah. interact with the other part of the story yeah so the the main plot of the episode is. That uh, basically, th- so this is the episode before this. Burnham had gotten picked up by this ship, the Discovery. Like she'd previously been on like a prison shuttle that crashed. She got picked up by the Discovery. And the the notable thing about the Discovery is that it has this experimental what they call a, a spore drive, which uses. And I kind of wondered if this was an episode we should have gotten the, uh, the that's not how science work team. Yeah. To that's just continue point. their tradition of having to be on Discovery episodes with this, but because this one I feel gets into a little bit more about how the spore drive works, which is that essentially, so there's a, it is, it's sort of based in actual earth science, but if you extrapolate, it gets really weird and stops making sense because the, essentially the kind of parallel that they try to base it on is that is what's called mycelium or essentially this on a like microscopic sort of cellular level. There's all these, uh, all not all, but uh, fungi are sort of everywhere, like in the soil and the, and the earth, and have this sort of network of microscopic fibers that all connect with each other and exchange, like essentially chemical information. So there's this almost like way that you could say that they can communicate across like huge miles and miles of distance just among these connecting web of. Uh, fungal mycelia. And so essentially what Discovery did is said that that also exists in space and time, that there's this mycelial network that essentially you can tap into certain kinds of fungi that are through these trans-dimensional fibers connected to other fungi otherwheres in space. And so you can essentially instantly travel to any point in space using this drive. And the, the episode before this there's one other ship that has the same spore drive, but it had it had malfunctioned and the ship had been like everyone in the ship had been killed. And so they investigated that ship and found they were attacked by this this sort of monster that then they escaped from and beamed that monster onto Discovery. And so in this episode, uh, Lorca, who is the captain of Discovery, uh, gives Burnham the job of kind of seeing if there's anything they can find about this monster that they can use as like a weapon to fight the Klingons because it 
it's resistant to phaser fire and it has like sharp claws that are able to tear apart armor. And they're like, well, we, sh- we must be able to like take it apart and find some weapon out of it. And this, this has a clock on it too, because there is a, a dilithium mining facility with a bunch of civilians living on it that is under attack by the Klingons. And somehow they, they have figured out mathematically exactly when, like like down to the second exactly when the shields of this place will fail. Um, yeah, and they have to yeah. so they have to get the sport drive working so they can jump across the galaxy to this place and stop the Klingon ships before they yeah. before they they take out the spot dilithium mining place. Yeah, because the problem that they've been having the Discovery sport drive was is that they could basically if you go any sort of large distance there's no way of navigating kind of where exactly you'll end up. Like the further away you go, the more, like the less specific you can be. So the first time they try to jump there, they jump like almost into a star and have to like fly away from it. And so they initially kind of set it up as there's these two separate problems is Burnham is trying to figure out what's going on with this monster. And then the, their discovery is also trying to figure out how to make the spore drive be able to navigate to actually go where they want it to. And, and I'm sorry, did you say that the monster that they beamed aboard is is, is like a tardigrade organism that we yeah, have on Earth, so they, but it's like super huge instead of microscopic? Yeah, and this is what I wasn't, because they basically kind of early on, Burnham sort of looks at it and analyzes it and said like, oh, well, it, you know, it resembles a very large version of the tardigrade, which is a like a microscopic, you know, animal that can only be seen in a microscope, but is known for being able to survive in like extreme uh, conditions, like very hot, very cold. I think they've survived in space type of thing. And I couldn't figure out, like, do they just call it that because it looks the same? Because it's got like, like six legs and kind of roly poly body, or is it actually just like a a large version of the same organism. Like, is it nectar tardigrade or? I, I thought, I thought they just called it that. They're just like, let's call it the tardigrade or they just start calling it the tardigrade, tardigrade, I guess. Yeah. And so they call this thing the tardigrade and through basically she kind of keeps experimenting with it and finds out that in some way it's connected to the, this, to the mush, the spores and the mushrooms, the mycelial network. And uh, it finds out that it basically it, it sort of feeds on like it uses the fungi to, as food, but also has this like interacts with them in this sort of symbiotic way and kind of can move along the, the network. And so they figure that out. And so she's able to they're able to sort of hook it up to the to the engine and then they can then use it like use its mind as sort of their like navigation computer and use that to tell it where to go and then can actually send discovery to wherever they want it to go is i guess a kind of a way of describing that yeah so they they hook it up and they get to where they need to go and they take out the klingon ships just in time and But then uh, the the tardigrade appears to have ha- like it's it has had a seriously negative uh, reaction to being used that way. So that kind of yeah. will, will play out over the course of other episodes. Kind of what to do with the tardigrade, and then like if they don't use the tardigrade, what should they use instead? And and you know which we find out. Yeah, I, w- I would say that, like discovery in another thing that again I get the impression the show cares about a lot more than I do. The show really cares about mushrooms. <laughs> like everything has, just like there's everything always like comes back to like has to do with the the mycelium and the mycelial network and those type, types of things. 
and like pretty much every threat like also like it's like it's going to destroy the ship but also it will like corrupt the mycelial network and you know ruin space time or yeah lots of things have to do with the mycelial network i feel that's basically i mean we you you kind of did a condensed version of that plot, yeah that's but, kind of but... the main beats of like what happens in the plot I did not take very many notes for this uh, show. I meant to. I have my notes at open, and then I I didn't even realize this. But then I was when I was looking at it when we started recording, I realized I had only written down three things. Okay. Um, I wrote down that I liked the opening shot of the episode, which is okay. I didn't get what that was. That's so. The opening shot is a microscopic view of her suit being replica of her uniform is it, being replicated. Is it the replicator working? Okay. Yeah. So you, you see like the replicator creating this fabric, and I was like, that's kind of a cool image. Yeah, because it's it's like a bunch of sort of it looks like like lightning, like electrical strikes, and then little blocks of geometric things kind of being built on top of each other. And in this very like kind of cool looking thing and then as, as it keeps zooming out yeah then you see sort of her her new uniform being being replicated but i didn't i so i was guess i guess that that was what we were seeing but it seemed like kind of a random thing to show that's one of those things where i kind of just I, I i love like i love seeing weird replicator stuff because like, i always like wonder like what do they do with it afterwards it's like do they have laundry or do they just like put it back on a replicator and then it just goes oh, and away. just turn it into fuel for another yeah I, I was Another watching a Deep Space Nine re- episode recently when where the O'Briens were having dinner and Molly finishes her food and Keiko says, "All right, Molly, go put your dishes in the replicator." <laughs> and so she picks up her like this bowl and a spoon and goes and puts in the replicator and the replicator just disintegrates it and it goes and huh. uh, to a, you know apparently to be to be repurposed into other matter. But I just thought that was. Really- I guess that I guess that does make sense. I don't know that I would have thought of that, but but yeah, that, that probably is how it would work. I'm I'm kind of into that. I mean, you don't have to do dishes then, you know, like as long as yeah. it's not being wasteful. But it seems like it's actually super not wasteful, you know. Yeah, exactly. Because then, like that matter just become like becomes used to make your next whatever thing you replicate. Yeah, or you know, like I'm coming up on my tenth wedding anniversary, and we still have some dishes that we got for our wedding presents. But since we've had kids, we, we've had we've had fewer and fewer of them because <laughs> uh, yeah you know we have kids and and they break and but like that'd be so nice like if your kid like knocks the glass off that you could, oh, that's true you could also use like broken pieces of something and just dump it all into the replicator and yeah you know it would suck if it was still like a like something sentimental but like yeah if your kid drops a glass or a plate or something just sweep it up dump it on the replicator and then like there you go like it's no harm yeah. no foul but anyway um so that, that was one thing i liked and then the other two things are so I don't know. I I still am struggling with this because I don't mind it when Star Trek gets dark at times. And I don't even mind it when there are bad people in Star Trek sometimes. But I don't like it when the show is like hyper grimdark. And I don't like it when the show is about like Starfleet itself being bad. Like if it's if it's like a person in Starfleet (laughs) is bad and then like the episode becomes about like, let's let's fix it. You know, like I'm much more like like, the rest of us have to overcome that. Yeah. And the, the, like, this episode in particular, not in particular, because I still think the episode where, there's an episode later on where um, Burnham eats Mirror Saru on accident, which is, like, uh, yeah. I still think, like, maybe my least favorite thing that's ever, well, that's probably not true, but, like, one, one of my least favorite <laughs> things, one of my least favorite things that's ever been in a Star Trek episode that I don't, like, take, it's probably my least favorite thing that, that I don't take an actual, like, ethical objection to, like, like, you know, certainly it's not as bad as, like, the... Like, Kirk slapping a woman. Yeah, like, it's not that 
that it's not bad like that but like in terms of like something where it's like this is like an aesthetic problem that i have with it They're just like i don't like to see this yeah i don't want to see and we can talk more about the mirror stuff on a different episode because it's not in yeah this episode, but i have lots to say about that but so that that's probably the worst thing but like in this episode there is one scene in the in the klingon stuff where they mentioned that Oh they, yeah, where they ate um, Michelle Yeoh's character, uh, Philippa Giorgio. They ate her body after after they left. Yeah, and I was like, I don't like. And this is the thing. I, I I know I talked about this last time, but it's like, has that been a thing before? Like, do Klingon? No, apparently, apparently just no. Klingons eat humans now. I, I mean, like, there's there's been they talk about blood wine sometimes, and it's it's never quite a hundred percent certain whether or not it actually is blood. Uh, so sure, but like, no, I don't think that they've ever talked about that before, and and that's I I I've I complained about this last time we talked about Discovery, but like the Klingons are too bad in the show like it makes it so that you can't you can't be like oh like like imagine like yeah, you know, like, like a cultural difference type yeah thing. Th- think about like the blood oath episode we watched of deep space nine where where jadzia helps out those old guys the old klingons and it's like they yeah. they probably fought in the klingon federation war and they're probably doing a bunch of terrible stuff apparently like and it's like i can't like them like, like if, if you're going to take that yeah. as you just kind of have to ignore it that like that's how that's how bad they are there's that yeah they, so they, there's that and then and and then the other thing, the thing that I wrote down, which I, I wrote down, mommy, mommy, wake up. And then I just wrote, get bent. Like, and, and that was, like, <laughs> they, they keep on playing these transitions, uh, not trans- these transmissions from yeah. the mining colony that's under siege. And like a bunch of the miners have already died because the Klingons have been bombing them and stuff. And, yeah. and, and at one point to motivate them, Lorca puts. Uh, I would say to like emotionally manipulate them, but sure. I took that as like a very, like a bad thing that Lorca is doing is that. <laughs> Basically, he plays this transmission out loud over like the sort of the speakers of the whole ship to to emotionally like make the crew feel bad so that they go. Yeah, I didn't I didn't mean I didn't mean motivate in like a, a positive way. Like, like, you know, you can motivate someone in negatively like he's yeah, he's trying to get them to like get your butts in gear. We got to fix this thing. And so he plays like this transmission yeah. of this guy and you can hear in like there's like a kid saying, mommy, mommy, wake up. And I'm like, this is it's so it's that's so emotionally manipulative to the audience. And it's also hack. Like it's like that's 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 like the thing you're like, oh, what can we get to make people concerned? What if we just wrote a, a kid? saying my my wake up like it's right it's just it's so i just don't i'm not here for it i just i'm not here for it and and, and like the action that Lorca's doing i think that's ultimately fine in the sense that this is i think the one thing that really it does benefit uh watching you know because i watched season one again recently when i when i went into season two because i'm trying to get to season three as well yeah and i think that's actually one of the things that's good about watching it again is that knowing that Lorca, it turns out, is uh, from the mirror universe. You're like, oh, okay, I understand why he's such a jerk all the time, you know. And see, this is something that I, again, like I understand it. I feel like it did. I almost kind of didn't like, and I, I actually, this is one of those things that I think I was telling you before. I had spoiled for me because uh, I have a copy of not from of a. I have a copy of Lorca from the next episode where he's breaking into out of prison if you have to if you're talking about times you have to say you can't just say I have a copy of the character yeah sorry in the no, video game we, play, we talk about on the show you have a copy yeah. of the character yes and and he has the trait mirror universe uh-huh. um, so I did like know this is true but I feel like it is a because it's kind of used as a like oh well that's why Lorca is so kind of shady and you know so violent and all of these things is because he's actually from the mirror universe but I think that kind of I don't know, and maybe I'm in a different 
mood than I was the last time I watched Discovery because I feel like that almost I, I don't know that I like that message that just like, well, all real universe humans are still like good and noble. And, you know, the only way someone can be a bad person is if they're from the mirror universe. You know, it's, it's sort of the thing that made me laugh when they when they first go to the mirror universe and Burnham says something about like, you know, humans here are like the exact opposite of humans in our universe. They're like racist and um, xenophobic. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, this probably was not supposed to make me laugh, but it made me laugh. That's really funny. I think more to me, it's more of a thing, not necessarily of, well, all humans are good on in, in the argument first, so much as it is like, you kind of wonder, I think, watching the show the first time, how did this guy even get promoted to be a captain? Because like, he's not even like a shady captain like you would see in like an episode of TNG. He's legit like a very bad man. Yeah. And, and so the idea that like, well, who knows how good or bad the the regular universe Lorca was, if he gets replaced with this other guy, that's how suddenly you have a captain who kind of did well enough to get promoted through the ranks to become captain. But now he's yeah. like this insane person who sleeps with a gun under his like, pillow and, and like... It has a dark room where he collects like weapons of war. and Yeah. And has, has like an adherent... Uh, because this is the other note that I wrote is that um, one thing that we didn't talk about is that b- before before we figured out you figure out what the tardigrade actually does, there is a, the reason why Lorca wants Burnham to look at it is because he's hoping to get use it for to create like some kind of bioweaponry. I, I got real shades of uh, it, for those of you who've watched the Clone Wars. Uh, TV show. I got real shades of the Zillow Beast uh, episodes uh, off, okay. of, off of this, where like Palpatine wants to use the Zillow Beast to like make stronger armor and things like that. So like they're like, we got to figure out what what its armor is made out of, and we, maybe we could try to chop off one of its like claws and use the claws as a weapon or something like that. Which which really that 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 part seems especially to be impractical. It's like you, you just have a sword. Like you don't need to use a, uh, a the arm <laughs> of a of a tardigrade but anyway though so that's what he really wants her to do and she's more interested in finding out like what the tardigrade's actual deal is and so yeah he, not his first officer but kind of his right hand yeah lady. i think she's chief of security what's but, her name uh, uh, uh landry landry yeah and yeah. um she is kind of like look you we don't want we don't care about that we only care about it and what we can use it as a weapon and so she kind of gets impatient eventually and then opens the the door to where the tardigrade is and tries to attack it and then the tardigrade right immediately which is stupid because like we again the whole point of it is that phasers don't work on it right and that's why they're investigating it and we learned that in that the last episode where it attacked them yeah, and and uh, and she gets killed immediately, basically, and in in I would say a, a somewhat cathartic moment because like <laughs> you you really are rooting for the tardigrade at that point in the show, and but then the next scene is like she's she's her her, her body is lying on like a, a bed in sickbay, and Lorca looks over at. Burnham and says, don't let her death be in vain. And then I wrote, her death was in vain because she's dumb. Like, she didn't have to yeah. do that. That's like, like, yeah. it doesn't, like, whether she, whether she, you get a weapon off of, off of it or not, her death was in vain. Yeah. Uh, that but, was just a stupid thing to do. Yeah. yeah. Which, which again, I think is just, you know, him continuing to be like emotionally manipulative. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Let's see. I'm trying to think. The, the other thing that I, 
did make note of is there's I think there's definitely especially when with between some conversations between her and Burnham and I think between Burnham and and Lorca as well I feel like they're trying to really draw a parallel between the tardigrade and Burnham because at this point in the series Burnham is best known for being like the only mutineer that Starfleet has ever had and is kind of blamed for starting the war. And so, you know, she's considered, like, especially by Saru and by a lot of the people on the crew to be, like, this very... Like, everyone thinks that she's actually, like, a bad person or at least a dangerous person. And I think they kind of draw this parallel between her and the Tardigrade, who is also considered... Like, everyone thinks that it's this dangerous monster, but it really... You know, if you kind of find out more about it, you can... And because she says... You know, I think she says to Lorca, like, why are you keeping something that's this dangerous on your ship? Mm -hmm. But then when she's talking with Landry about it and Landry keeps saying, like, you know, we have to find something in it that's a weapon like it has, you know, poison sacks or rage glands, which I'm not sure what the kind of equivalent of that would be. Um, And she's and she says, like, you're you know, we know nothing like the only thing we know about this is that. There was the one time on the other ship that it attacked us. And she says that you're judging the creature based on just one incident from its past, which is, you know, kind of what what is happening with her. Where, like, everyone assumes that she's this dangerous mutineer because of this one mistake she made. And then, you know, over the course of the show, she sort of proves who she really is. Now, granted, the mistake she made was being a mutineer, but... Uh, right, yes. Although, she, like, it's, it's arguable whether or not she was she making She did att- physically assault her own superior officer yeah. and then try to, like, circumvent her orders and use the ship to attack a, another ship that hadn't yet done anything aggressive. Yes, she did do that. Yeah. But. I think I think one thing that's, that is interesting about that, we don't have to talk about that in this episode, but, like, I think the show leaves open, or at least it does, I, think, I feel like it does at the beginning of the show, the idea that she, that she actually might have been right. Um, not not that she was right to do all the stuff she did afterwards, but that like the thing that she oh, wanted like to if do, they had attacked the Klingons first. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, you're you're right. I I, I forgot I forgot to note that, to note that too. Yeah, because the, the, towards the end in particular, there's there's yeah there is like an episode there's like a, a thing yeah where uh I think I think I think maybe Tilly or somebody says something about how you just got to get to know it or something like that, and then like uh yeah. Burnham looks over at her with this you know this meaningful look on her face, you know. <laughs> You know, which is fine. Like, it's that's not that's that's like I I think like as close to this as this episode comes to having a message, and I think that's like an okay one to have. Yeah. But yeah. Just I don't know. Not not my thing. Um, season two definitely is more of my thing, and and, and even like season one, like uh, I think that. You know, like I said, like this show, the thing that this show is good at is kind of propelling itself wherever it needs to go. You know, like the means by which it does that yeah. are not always my favorite, but I would say like, you know, compare that to Picard, which is just totally <laughs> inert, you know, like yes, where it, really, it truly does take you. Where you, you know, you find out in like the first episode where they need to go and then they don't get there until there's like two episodes left in the season. Yeah, it's. Uh, you know, so th- it, there is something like kind of like very watchable about uh, Discovery, but yeah, I agree. Anyway, um, well, I think that does it though for uh, for us in this episode. So thank you everybody for listening. Next we, next time we we, we record uh, will be in uh, two Sundays from now. We do every other Sunday. Uh, we are doing the episode uh, season.
season one episode, it depends on who, who's counting, but like episode four or five of Voyager uh, called Phage. Uh, that's P-H-A-G-E. So you can uh, watch that and tune in uh, in a couple weeks to listen to listen to what, what we have to say about that one. Um, in the meantime, you can check out our sister podcast on the Kaleidoscope Media Network. There's Here's Johnny, which is a horror podcast. There's That's Not How Science Works, which is a science pop culture podcast. And there is Wizard Studies, which is a Harry Potter podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Contracts. You can email us at outofcontracts at gmail.com or you can visit our website at outofcontracts.podbean.com and contracts is spelled c-o-n-t-r-e-k-s uh so yeah until next time thank you everybody for listening yeah thanks everybody bye tales of giant monsters are as old as tales themselves but what makes those stories fit into the kaiju genre and just how scary can they be larry and justin are pursuing this very knowledge on the here's johnny podcast a horror show that arrives every week just like your favorite radio drama, but instantly through forbidden sciences known as Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. There are a ton of kaiju out there to learn about. Just listen to your local emergency officials and stay out of their paths. Wait, say that again? Uh, Sorry, folks, I'm getting a message from our staff. Uh, Folks, we're getting reports that a massive creature has just risen off the coast of this station and is heading this way. Please follow evacuation protocol and... Listen to the Here's Johnny podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts.